0: Hi, dear listener, Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio. And last year, I took my love of podcasts full time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hold in those grunts, get those rebels and researchers ready because you're starting an invasion. Let's get sweaty. Welcome to KeyForge Public Radio with your host, Zach Armstrong. I'm your host, Zach Armstrong. This is KeyForge Public Radio where we are helping you get better at Keyforge. And today we're talking about House Mars and Winds of Exchange, the Mars playbook. What are they good at? What do they do? And how are you going to respond to them when they're in across the table from you? And if you're evaluating decks, either in a fun sealed match, sealed alliance, building for alliance itself, or for straight up Archon, you're going to want to know what to look for in Mars for Winds of Exchange. And I've got to tell you, They've got some game-winning formulas. They've got some stuff that they are very good at. And everybody knew they were pretty strong, maybe not billing them in the predictions in some of the top houses. But in this organized play season, we have seen a lot of Mars on top, alongside especially Unfathomable Equidon and Brobnar. Mars is doing a lot of work. So what are they good at? What are some of the things we can trust Mars to do for opening up a deck and looking at a Mars list. What do we want to look out for? What can we expect? And we'll be looking at their common and uncommon rarities today so that you know what you're going to expect in most of these games. They do have a few game shifting rares, but we're not focusing on those today. Just the stuff that you're going to see day in, day out playing with the house Mars. Right off the bat, something they do quite well in this set, funnily enough, is removal and holding the board. And there's a couple uh, synergies going on here across many different cards that help them hold a board in some cool ways. First off, they have two fantastic removal cards in this set that are at common. Off, we have Ammonia Clouds, a reprint from Call of the Archons that deals three damage to all creatures. The reason I love Ammonia Clouds is because you're not getting any chains for putting all that damage out there. And so the decision is up to you as to whether to go ahead and do that to all creatures. You might be wiping a lot of your own tokens if you have those out. Doing some damage to your other creatures, you might be wiping out your opponent's board. And so in this set, especially if you're in a Winds of Exchange match, you're going to be doing a lot of work with Ammonia Clouds to remove a lot of small creatures, a lot of token creatures, and in some inter-set play, you're going to be able to, of course, uh, as with most of these wipes, Get around taunt, get through elusive, and blow up things. Uh, things like Eddie's daughters and that variety of threat that you want to get to, uh, that you want to get to right away. One of the other reasons a board wipe like ammonia clouds in Mars and Winds of Exchange can be strong is the fact that Mars can bounce back very quickly from a board wipe because they can reestablish a board state really quickly. Now, we'll get into in a little bit how they replenish that board state really quickly with tokens and what cards help make that a really good play for them, right? Wiping the board and then getting out, getting out uh, more Mars creatures the same turn so that you're not actually ending up zero to zero on creatures in the board. Another great straight-up board wipe, and more of a true board wipe, since it destroys pretty much everything, is Kaboom. This common action card archives all Mars creatures from play to their owner's archives and then destroys all other creatures. Now, you do get a few chains from this, but it's usually totally worth it. You get to tuck away all of your Mars creatures, put them away for next turn, and then you're good to go. You're good to go. And like with ammonia clouds, of course, you might be able to go ahead and create a few new tokens uh, out of your hand or from your artifacts, some other abilities in response to your own board wipe. Now one fun trick to be aware of here is when you have a Mars token, of course those get targeted with Kaboom. So whatever printed card they are on the other side, they go straight to your archives. So it is one tricky little way to go ahead and get that tokenized creature card that is something printed on the other side that you want over into your archives. Of course it takes an extra turn, but some way to do that is better than no way to do that. We have a few honorable mentions, of course, uh, like Genetic Blast, that deals two damage to every creature with the same name, and that's two-sided, in case you know, you both have a board full of prospectors. Uh, destroy Them All, which uh, notably lets you destroy just any creature you want to, and then an artifact and an upgrade, and so it's some really valuable removal all at once, creature Upgrade and Artifact. It lets you target all of those three different things. Very, very good. And and that's just an uncommon, so not impossible to find in a deck that uh, you want to use Uh, or hold in a sealed match if you know they've got a dangerous upgrade or Artifact that's going to come out in a little bit. So they have tools to deal with all sorts of situations. And the great thing about their token generation, like I was mentioning, and then uh, one of their other famous cards we'll mention in a minute, Mars Needs Amber, they have a lot of these tools that can synergize with these kinds of wipe. We'll talk about uh, Amber control later, but Mars needs Amber, which has every damaged enemy creature capture an Amber from its own side if it's a non-Mars creature. Ammonia Clowns sets that up really well. Having a swarm of tokens to crash into enemy creatures works really well. So there's a lot of synergy there. And if you have a lot of their classic token makers that you get at Common and Uncommon, you can wipe the board with one of those cards we mentioned earlier, and then go ahead and reset your board. And if you're blowing up something like a Iron X Vatminder, you're already creating more tokens when you blow up and perhaps trade one for one your creature for an enemy creature. Iron X Vatminder, being the 3-1 Mars creature that has play slash destroyed, make a token creature. Very, very good for... Getting and keeping a board. So, when you wipe a board, and if you have a few of the artifacts out, like Mark II Generator, which is action, make a token, and it comes in ready, Nyon Outpost, which is the artifact that lets you put a friendly creature on the bottom of your deck and then make two token creatures, even if you just have one of each, you are making three token creatures right off the bat so that you're ending your turn having wiped the opponent's board with a good delta, the difference between the, the most number of creatures of a single house on your side versus your opponent, with a delta of three or or four, depending on how many you're making. Imagine imagine a situation where you've played Ammonia Clouds, it wipes the enemy's side, you that finishes off your Iron X Vatminder, you make a token creature, and then you have Mark II Generator and Nyon Outpost, you're back right up to four, and you can reap for four, fight, do whatever you need to next turn. So their token generation is second to none, and One of my absolute favorite cards in this set is Space Invaders. Space Invaders does this where it lets you tokenize creatures from your hand. You play Space Invaders, you reveal any number of creatures from your hand, and put them into play as token creatures. Now, this card is sneakily one of my favorite cards of all time. It's not as flashy. It's a little bit more... It's very cool. It's a little bit more subtle than other high-impact cards. But here's the thing. It lets you get non-Mars cards out of your hand during a Mars turn so it's efficiency it lets you tokenize it lets you tokenize knowing exactly what you're tokenizing which is huge because so much of the risk the payment of tokenizing of creating a token creature in Winds of Exchange is not knowing what you are tokenizing and taking that risk if there's a card in your deck that you still need right? So you have, you're filtering your hand, you have perfect knowledge of what you're tokenizing, and it scales. If you've managed to draw a whole lot of extra cards, or uh, for instance, in a great situation for this is player one turn one, you only get to play one card, but you play Space Invaders and then a couple other creatures that you're like, no, I want these as Mars, as my tokens, whatever they are, maybe Mars, maybe not. Then you are so far ahead on that first turn. You've just jumped up to what feels like the mid-game, right? So, so far, they are great at controlling the board. They are great at making token creatures on mass. And then whatever happens with that board, they have a way of taking advantage of. Mars needs amber as amber control. It has damaged enemy non-Mars creatures, capture one from their own side. Uh, Psychic Network is an action card that says play, steal one for every friendly, ready Mars creature. If you are making a lot of these and you start your turn with three, four, five, six ready Mars creatures, boom, you are stealing so much with Mars Needs Amber. And a shout out, of course, to the rare Hypnotic Command, which does a similar thing, um, but it's for every friendly Mars creature. They don't even have to be ready. An enemy creature captures one from their own side. Uh, So that is very powerful as well. And you can play it on the same turn that you've made a whole lot of tokens. So shout out, shout out to that rare. So all of this starts to bleed together. Their board control, token generation, and their amber control are all the, these different parts of the harmony of Mars singing their song, right? Of Mars singing their song, of amber control, of board control, of, of, really, um, of really taking advantage of any kind of board situation. There are Mars setups that can, that can do many different things, right? And the great thing about their creatures with this with this kind of board control going over into their board presence is that they have a lot of creatures that are pretty much a must answer creature. What I mean by a must answer is that when you play this card It is a threat that your opponent has to figure out how to deal with, or you're going to be gaining a significant advantage moving you towards your victory condition, mostly by slowing them down, Uh, usually in the case of Mars, slowing them down instead of presenting a threat of a combo. Uh, However, uh, I will mention those combos I said earlier. If you don't deal with a full Mars board, not only can they reap out, especially if it's Not only can they reap out whether it's token creatures or not, they also might be setting up for a Mars Needs Amber or a Psychic Network, right? Which is very aggressive and forward-pushing. In that vein, they can also take advantage of Crystal Hive, a reprint from Call of the Archons, which is an artifact that says action. For the remainder of the turn, gain one Amber after a creature reaps, which is fantastic and rewards you for having that Mars board and they have these must answer creatures are a few things like ether spider another reprint seven power beast ether spider deals no damage when fighting each amber that would be added to your opponent's pool is captured by ether spider instead so ether spider it, it is so powerful because it takes any and all amber that would enter your opponent's pool they're not gaining any amber while ether spider Is out there. This is fantastically powerful. If you have any way to ward it or put it behind uh, taunt, then that just gets that much better and demands that they have an answer if they ever want to have Amber ever again. Right. So ways to protect it are fantastic. This is a huge tempo. This is a huge tempo play because you're taking their amber. You're not letting them get to that, you know, their gated forge a key step, right, where you need to get through three of those to win the game. And you're keeping them from advancing at all while hopefully you're advancing your own game plan and maybe keeping them down. And as far as removal goes, I'm going to toss out a fun combo here. There's a card called Exterminate, Exterminate, an uncommon action card that reads play for every friendly Mars creature, destroy a non-Mars creature with lower power. And in the case of Ether Spider, it can't fight, but it's got seven power. And so you can blow up anything up to a six with Exterminate, Exterminate with Ether Spider out on the board. How about that? A few of the other uh, tempo amber control cards they have are Nizic Resonator a soldier and a Martian. It's a two power one armor. And it says for each friendly neighbor, Nizik resonator has your opponent's keys cost plus two. You have uh, also for tempo Ixel, the iron captain, a four one Martian and iron X traded that says play each friendly iron X creature captures two. And there's a number of those in the set. You can capture, I mean that scales so quickly capturing two onto a four, one is already pretty solid, right? Up to seven. And you're capturing two to keep them off a of key, but every Every Ironix you have on the board, of which there are a few like Ironix Vatminder and the token Rebel is Ironix traded, uh, you are capturing two onto each of those, which can get really big really quickly and it starts to require a lot of fighting or just a straight up board wipe to go ahead and get all that amber back. They also have one of my favorite key cost control cards in Mars. They have Mix the Tall-Minded, five-power Martian that says your opponent's keys cost plus one for every friendly Mars creature in play. If you're making tokens or you've got a few things to play from hand, you can finely tune exactly what you want their key cost to be. Because remember, this gives you a strategic choice if you have a choice in how many you can make. Let's say they are uh, threatening to forge at... uh, They have nine amber, so they're threatening to forge for six. Uh, if you really want to, you could go ahead and just get three creatures out and mix, of course, triggers itself. It counts itself and have them forge for the full nine so that that nine amber is, quote unquote, lost. Right. They still get to forge a key. Um, but if they for if you let them forge it six later, then they still have that three amber hanging around. Uh, or do you push it up to 10 because you want them to go even higher? Maybe you have a rant and Rive over in Brobnar that you're holding. Maybe you know you're holding another mix somewhere, or you're going to drop a Nizik Resonator next turn. And you can really fine-tune exactly how much you want them to spend. So a fantastic card triggers itself. It's already a plus one on a five-power body on its own, and then it's a plus one for everybody else who's out there. And as far as threats go, there's also Memrox the Red. Memrox is a five-power Martian that says your opponent's cards cannot leave your archives, and it says action, gain one for each card in your archives. So already some potential high-end Amber Burst if you're archiving a lot, and that ability, your opponent's cards cannot leave your archives, refers to a kind of ability, a theme that we have on a number of different Mars cards, where you take your opponent's creatures and put them into your archives things like scoop up which targets a friendly and an enemy non-mars creature and puts them into your archives things like suspended animation that puts a damaged enemy creature into your archives and whenever they leave uh, whenever they leave your archives they go back to your owner's hand and so memrox the red locks all those opponent's cards into the archives and is an Amber Burst card. So Mars has a lot of creatures that do either a whole lot of one thing or give you a lot of options on them, like Memrox mix and Nizek Resonator, the key cost increaser from earlier that's plus two per neighbor, which is bonkers, right? They have a lot going on on each card. The average utility of each of their creatures is is quite high. So as you're building this board, your opponent's going to want to fight them down. They'll be damaging their creatures from Mars Needs Amber. Um, And not only are you presenting a threat of reaping out if you have a lot of Mars, not only are you presenting a threat of high key costs or uh, keeping keeping those abducted cards in there with Memorox the Red, you're also threatening the big payoff cards for a horde of Martian, like Psychic Network or the rare Hypnotic Command. So all of this just sings together. They're really, their creatures are a bit higher power than normal on average. You also have, to partner with a lot of these different cards, you have Ironix Rebel, a two-power Martian Ironix creature that has deploy so you can put it anywhere in the battle line, and on play it readies each of Ironix Rebels, Mars' neighbors, That's lets you use that action ability to gain Amber for your archives on Memrocks the turn you play it. that's lets you just do a few additional uh, reaps or fights, whatever you want to do. It's just speed and it's utility. It's fantastic. It lets you turn on a little bit of a psychic network right then. Lots of good stuff. So they can take over a board, especially with their tokens. When they have a Martian token, they have a lot of strong creatures outside of that. They have good removal and good ways to recover from the removal when it blows up their own board along with good amber control so you're usually going to have amber control along with the ability to flood the board in mars so you're going to be able to control the board control the amber uh, you're going to be able to get rewarded for holding the board or while being able to generate things to hold the board without a whole lot of effort and with some selection in what gets tokenized or perhaps your decks out simply is to do token spam whether it's a mars token or a non-mars token and then if that's your goal great you're rocking and rolling, and as long as you've got your token makers and you're starting to reap out, you're re-archiving your clone homes, right, which make, to- which make a token creature in archives if you have more friendly creatures than enemy creatures, as long as you've got that, you are golden. Now, last but not least, we're going to talk through their token creatures to talk about how good each one is. Now, here's the thing, including their special one, because they have three standard ones that you can get no matter what, and then one special one that comes from a special rare. All of these are one power except for one, and one power can be fine if it's powerful enough to be worth it, which we do see on things like Prospector over an Equidon, right? But these are easy to fight off, especially if you're inset, especially if you're facing Brobnar or something with a lot of damage pips from different cards. These are relatively easy to get rid of. So with that in mind, we'll go down the list. First up, we're going to look at Researcher. This is a one power Martian scientist, and it has an Omni ability. Reveal a Mars card from your hand and archive it. Now, that can be quite good in a lot of decks. If you have something like Legionary Trainer bringing them in ready, then you have a ready creature with an Omni ability. Boom, you can go ahead and use that and archive a Mars card from your hand. Now, you are revealing it. You're giving information to your opponent, but at least that is theirs. You know they know it, but it's theirs to use that well or not. Right, or there's to forget if you're in a, a high uh, a high intensity game, right? So reach researcher, researcher can be quite good. Um, if you've gone through a lot of your Mars cards, you might only be archiving a small handful off of these, and they are easy to fight off. However, it is a pretty useful ability. One edge case I do have to shout out is that if you're not in Mars, if your active house during any turn is not Mars and you have an enraged researcher, remember that the rules for enrage, that enraged token on your researcher. Say, when it's used, it must fight, if able. If your active house is not Mars, that researcher is not able to fight. Therefore, an enraged researcher can use the Omni on a non-Mars turn. Now, if you're on a Mars turn, guess what? It can fight, so if it's used, it does have to fight, right? So... Researcher, uh, pretty good. You're going to get a little bit of efficiency there. Not as much as perhaps some of us were dreaming when we had this card spoil a little while back, but pretty solid. And I think in some decks that want to set up for big Mars turns and don't care too much if the opponent knows, these are going to do uh, just fine. However, I haven't seen them taking over a whole lot of games. Rebel is the next one, the next token creature for Mars here in Winds of Exchange and Keyforge. It is a one power Martian and Ironix. Now, remember, we have Ixol the Iron Captain from earlier who has... Ironix creatures each capture two when it enters play. We also have the uncommon artifact, Ironix Banner, which gives plus one power, plus one armor to all Ironix creatures, making something like Rebel a two, one, which is fantastic. And it has after Reap deal one to a creature. Now, I understand why this is one power, because you can get an Amber and a damage to send to a creature of your choice, you know, on a Reap here with Ironix, with, with Rebel. So that is fantastic. It's, of course, easy to deal with. Easy to fight off, as we've talked about in previous uh, playbook episodes, like looking at a Senator over in Sarian. Just going up to two power is so huge for a token survivability that the the ability on Senator being underwhelming really isn't that bad because it's it's two power. You can still do a lot of good stuff just by having a two power token if your deck wants to use them. So, I like Rebel. It's fantastic if you get to Reap with them, if you're making a ton of them and you're flooding your opponent with them, that's going to set you up for a Marginese Amber. That's going to set you up to be sending that ping damage wherever you want to, to pop wards, to deal with uh, small creatures that are threats, right? So, good. Not going to be really survivable at one power, but if it is living and you're Reaping out with a board of Rebels, you are getting to do an awful lot at once because just a Reap out threat is huge, and if you're also doing some damage to support your other game plans induce removal, some removal, that's fantastic. So a good token, not going to be a real survivable, but see how much advantage you could take of it, right? The last regular token is Grunt. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Grunt is very good. Grunt is three power Martian soldier. That's it. It's blank. Because three power with no drawbacks on a token is just fantastic grunt spam is a good a good thing to have in a deck where you're throwing out a whole bunch of grunts you are reaping out like crazy maybe you're stealing with psychic network right grunt is one of the best tokens to survive and then let you execute on a martian game plan i love grunt i have my own grunt flood deck that i don't think is quite near the level of ooze over on team sass right however Grunt decks. Grunt spam is just fun. Uh, If you have a grunt deck that you think has quite a few token makers and might be pretty cool and it might be a deck where it says it just wants to make tokens and it doesn't care too much what what it tokenizes once you have all the pieces, right? Try it out. They're a lot of fun. I have fun with them and it's just solid because it's survivable. It sticks so you can fight. You can reap. Three power on a fight where you're getting a bunch of them is good. Reaping, of course, is very good. If you've got a ton of these, right, then you're reaping for whatever you want to. Lastly, we have Blorb. This thing has been a beloved meme for a while. It is a one power token creature with the beast trait. It is elusive and it says Blorb cannot reap. Hmm. It has the destroyed ability return Blorb Hive from your discard pile to your hand. Now, Blorb Hive is an artifact with a location trait and it reads Omni, destroy a friendly creature. If you do, make two Blorbs. Then, if you control ten or more Blorbs, destroy Blorb Hive and forge a key at no cost. If you've seen this around already, or you're doing the math, right? That means you can destroy a creature, make two Blorbs, and then if you have ten or more Blorbs, and this is Omni, so any turn, then the Blorb Hive destroys itself, you get a key for free, quote-unquote, you've made a lot of Blorbs, goes to the discard pile. And Blorbs have that destroyed ability, where, if you can destroy a Blorb, and then return it to your hand, and then play it, assuming you're in Mars, or you have a way to house cheat, then you can get that Blorb Hive back out, and maybe threaten that the next turn. Now, I don't know if any uh, anybody who designed a Hive is listening to the podcast, but I've got to compliment the team on just how balanced this is, because forging a key with Blore Hive is not just a meme. It is possible, but it's also not so strong that this meme combo is taking over tournaments, right? But there are some really cool Hive decks. I don't know if I've seen one that's actually ever going to win a Vault Tour, but I've seen some that are a ton of fun that are really strong. Right, that are really strong for for what they are, so the blorb cannot reap, which is the major downside. But of course, that means it's removing that amber gain towards your wind condition of forge three keys, right, and replacing it with well, just get a ton of blorbs instead, and then you can repeatedly forge for free. So blorb. Blorb needs a couple synergies to really work because sometimes what happens is you get this Blorb hive in a deck and it overwrites the token to make it Blorb and you don't have a lot of synergy with a one power elusive creature that can't reap that wants to have 10 of it out to get your keys that way. But when it's in a deck where it really matters, you're going to see things like Harmonic Ritual or Membership Drive in Sanctum, which both reward you for having a Harmonic Ritual, a lot of the same house and creatures, and then Membership Drive, which makes a token creature and then gives you one for every token creature uh, you control. Uh, you also want to see things like over in Mars, like we were talking about, Psychic Network. So when you start to see a lot of the synergies in a list for Blorb Hive, then it really starts to sing when you have more ways to reward yourself for Blorbs than just the Blorb Hive. All that said, forging a key with Blorb Hive is really one of the absolute fun, janky joys of Winds of Exchange. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. So that's the Martian playbook. Uh, Really, I spent most of the time telling you, oh yeah, they're really good. So that's it for KeyForge Public Radio today. As always, you can find everything on keyforgepublicradio.com. We have blog posts there, especially some guest blog posts. Uh, All the old episodes are on there. There's the merch shop where you can buy things like the Keyforge public radio shirt that uh, i am currently wearing as i record this with the logo on there if you want to rep that at your locals or your events and if you're playing keyforge with some friends or you're trying to get a friend into keyforge who just doesn't quite understand how deep it is send them keyforge public radio send them to the website there's also keyforgepublicradio.com/follow if you want to send them straight to a page where they can click on the platform they want to listen on or on the youtube channel and so, just share KeyForge Public Radio with a friend. That is the best way for a podcast to grow: is if a friend recommends it to another friend. And if you've been getting value out of this podcast, if you've been enjoying learning uh, more and more about KeyForge, either affirming what you knew, uh, taking you deeper into the mechanics of the game, share it with a friend. And then, if you feel so motivated, we've got the Patreon as well, starting at four dollars a month. That gets you access to content, votes. And my twice a month uh, Patreon podcast, which you can also log into Spotify if you're a Patreon and listen through Spotify now, which is really cool. And the Patreon and then the merch shop are the biggest ways that this podcast uh, is supported by you all, the amazing listeners of Keyforge Public Radio who believe in Keyforge and this show. And I'm so thankful for people like our Airwave Advocate supporters, like Paul Roadrunner. But of course, like your radio dial, may your Keyforge skills always be well tuned. Visit KeyforgePublicRadio.com to find all of our episodes, transcripts, blog posts, the KPR store, and more. Keyforge Public Radio is made possible with support from listeners just like you, who believe in this game and this show. When you join the Patreon, you receive access to votes on content, sneak peeks, early knowledge of interviews, access to the Discord, and other benefits. So come on down, I'd be honored if you joined us. Follow KPR on any social media platform you frequent, just search for Keyforge Public Radio, and we're probably there. This show is produced by Rooster High Productions, which is me. And remember, dear listener, the most important part of Keyforge is the person across the table.